Our Father and our God, we bow before you again with thankful hearts. For we know, Father, that you allow us the privilege to call you Father. You allow us the privilege to worship you. You allow our prayers to be heard. We thank you that we can call you our Father. And we pray again, Father, that you would forgive us. For we know that we are sinners in need of your grace each and every moment of each and every day. And we thank you that we have it in Christ, in Christ alone. We pray, Father, that as we seek to continue to worship you by the preaching of your word, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That your spirit would come, for we know that all is vain unless your spirit comes. And that your spirit would work in our midst, work in our hearts of bringing conviction, work in our hearts of bringing about truth, and that we might commit ourselves, Father, to the truth that is presented to us from your word. We know, Father, that we live in a day when there is much wickedness and there is attacking of the family. And Father, we know that the family has been shattered in our society. No longer is it respected as it once was. We know, Father, that there's great difficulties. So we cry out to you. We cry out to you, Father, to bring about a revival of the family. We cry out to you, Father, to work in our midst to give us godly fathers and mothers and that they might raise their children in godly homes. Father, how we pray for families that would be committed to Christ. Calls us this day, Father, to recommit ourselves to what your word teaches us. Teach us, Father. We pray, Father, that you would be with those who are in need. Again, we say, Father, help us. Help us as we seek to minister to those who are hurting. Father, we know that you are able to carry your children to the valley, through the valley of the shadow of the death, and we pray, Father, that you would be pleased to do that in all of these situations that we have mentioned as they go through these funerals, Father, that your, your presence would be felt in a very special way and that your grace would be sufficient. We pray, Father, that we would understand how short life can be. We have been confronted with it through these three deaths that have recently happened that are connected to our church, Father, that life can be so short, and then the judgment, how we pray, Father, that we would take life seriously, how we pray, Father, that we would realize through these deaths that we can only live in Christ and in Christ alone. How we pray, Father, that those who do not know you this day, that they would come to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Bring about salvation by your Spirit. We pray, Father, for those who are unable to be with us. You know their reasons and their needs, and we pray that you minister to them and bring them back to us quickly. We pray for our sister churches throughout the world as the gospel is proclaimed this day that many would come into your kingdom and that you would be glorified through their coming. Bless our time together, and we pray that all that would be said and done would be pleasing in your sight. 
And it's in Christ's name that we pray and for his sake. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22, and we will look at one verse this morning, Proverbs chapter 22. A very familiar verse. Most of us probably could quote it from memory. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is probably one of the best known verses of the Old Testament. And I believe we would all agree that being parents is one of the most difficult tasks that we have. But it also can be one of the most thrilling experiences that any person can have in raising children. There's nothing like it. I wouldn't take anything for it. I think back over our nearly 40 years of having a child at home. Our last one decided to take free food and lodging for an extra long time. Those years were some of the busiest years of our life. Constantly seeking to do what we thought was best for our children. They were years filled with joy, years filled with excitement. But also they were years filled with sadness and heartache. But by God's grace we persevered and we learned much. God taught my wife and myself very often. And God taught us that each of our children were unique and their personalities, which appeared very early in life, were very special and that you must seek to deal with each child in a particular way because they are different. You don't deal with each child the same way and you have to understand that. It was a learning experience for us. I mean, we had never been parents before. And then you all of a sudden have a little one dropped in your lap and you begin to wonder, what do I do with her? And of course, at that particular time, there were very few good biblical Christian books available to help us through our parenthood. We tried to simply duplicate what we had been taught and sad to say our parents had not been sufficiently taught either As shared yesterday in our men's Bible study, something happened in the 1900s to where pastors, for some reason or another, failed in teaching parents how to be Christian parents and having a Christian love for their children and the way they should raise them. So it was a learning experience for us as we sought to find the best books that we could. There were very few books available to help us parent. So it was kind of a learn-as-you-go process. We weren't introduced to good, solid biblical material until the mid-80s. And I remember the first time I spoke to my wife about the possibility of homeschooling our children, she kind of looked at me with that look. Are you crazy? And there's no way we could pull that off. But by God's grace, we were actively involved in our children's education. 
In no way I'm saying that it was easy. At, at times it was very difficult. It was a full-time job, demanding. And we often felt very inadequate. And there were times that we wanted to throw up our hands and quit. Eventually, the rewards outweighed the difficulties. The joy of seeing our children grow and mature every day 24-7 into the people that they are now was a blessing in itself. Yes, there were days that we literally cried out to God for help. When we thought that we had reached the end of our rope, but yet God's grace was sufficient. One of the great joys of parenting is when you're able to see your children and your grandchildren. But to be able to see your children actually doing a better job in raising their children than you did. Knowing that God took our frail attempts and in some way or another used them to have a positive impact upon their life. I wish I could say that I was a great father, but I know that I often failed miserably. I was a sinner saved by grace, seeking to use the grace that God gave me to lead my children and fulfill my duties as husband and father. And I thank God that He took my miserable efforts and He blessed them. And I'm also thankful to God that He gave me a godly wife who loves our children and our grandchildren and did all that she could to be a godly wife and mother in leading our children in the path of righteousness. I would take nothing for those years. I don't have to tell you that either of us are perfect, for we aren't, but yet we have a perfect Savior who gave us the strength that we needed to realize our calling as pastors, and He has forgiven us of our many failures in raising our children as well, and I thank Him for that. And I can say with great confidence that this principle here in Proverbs 22.6 is a wonderful truth. And our God is able to use parents here to invest their life into your children so that they too will live for Christ. Many misunderstand this particular verse, thinking that it's an absolute promise. It's not an absolute promise. It's a proverb. In other words, it's a principle, a truthism. In other words, if you do this, this will most likely happen. But it isn't always the case. There have been faithful parents who were committed to do exactly what this verse says, but their children departed and never returned to what they learned. But yet that is rare. Why does that happen? Well, I wish I knew. The only thing that I can say is that God has His reasons. One reason may be to show us as parents that it is all of grace. It's not just us, it's all of grace, and that we must daily look to Him for the strength that we need. 
There are those who think that if you do everything right, then your children will turn out okay. Such parents are simply deceiving themselves with such thinking and reveal their lack of true biblical knowledge. Now, another truth that we must remember is God's timing is not our timing. We must continue to remember that. That He works all things according to His purpose, not our purpose. And sometimes it takes years before God's truth finally penetrates the heart of a child. And knowing this should keep us on our knees to the very end. Now being a faithful parent is accomplished, as I've mentioned, by God's grace and God's grace alone. Not by any modern ideas or turning them over to the government, to daycares, to schools, or even to the church. God has commissioned parents to watch over the children. Now one of the reasons why families are in such a mess is because parents have ignored God's commandment, His commission here. And the wicked that we, wickedness that we see today is mainly due to the failure of parents. Why has sexual sin, sexual identity, abortion, singleness, divorce, use of drugs, crime, other sins increased so much in the last 60 years? It's because the family is no longer the priority of many. It is because the majority of Christians have allowed the world to squeeze them into the mold of this world. And they have the mindset of the world and therefore they have drifted away from what this book says. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we going to do what Scripture teaches concerning the family? Listen to what One pastor said, as Christians, we must do parenting by the sweat of our brow. It is to be done by our supervision. It is to be done according to Scripture for the sake of our children and the praise and the honor of God. I've often said, as goes the family, so goes the church, so goes the nation. The root of our problem in this nation goes back to the family. And to be more direct, to parenting. Many parents have no knowledge of what Scripture says they are to do. And worse, they don't want to do what Scripture teaches concerning raising their children. And as a result, the home is in a mess, even in the church. I'm not talking about out in the world. I'm talking about in the church. The home is a mess. God gives parents children. And parents are to be good stewards of what God has given them. And as Christians, we must see that children are an heritage of the Lord. Psalms 127.3 And we have a great responsibility to do all that Scripture teaches us. 
We cannot cop out by saying, I can't do it. No, if God has given you a children and you're a Christian, you can do it. He gives you the strength and you must trust in Him and depend upon Him. God has not left us to our own ignorance as far as training our children. He's given us His very words. And therefore, as we study His Word, we should seek to accomplish that which He has commanded us to do. So let us look at this verse, and I want to break it down so that we can have a firm grasp upon the truth of this verse that is being taught to us so that each one of us will be faithful in our duty as a parent. But not only as a parent, as a grandparent. Because your job doesn't end as a parent. When your children have children, you also are to continue to parent. Parent not only them, but parent your grandchildren and help your children out. So in other words, what I'm saying, all of us have a responsibility to be faithful to this task that we have here in Proverbs 22.6. First of all, it says we have a command, train up a child in the way he should go. So God has given you and me this command. Now in the Hebrew, it literally says that we are to do this. It's in the imperative that the Almighty God has told us to obey Him in training up our children. It's not a suggestion. It's not a proposal. It is a command to be obeyed by every single one of us. Many commands are given on this subject. This is not the only place that it talks about parenting. Go to the Ten Commandments. We see in the heart In chapter 20 of Exodus is this commandment. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. In Proverbs 3, verse 1. In Ephesians, the passage we read for our scripture reading this morning in the New Testament. Ephesians 1 through 4. In Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Paul teaches us there in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are to bring up our children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now the word bring up is in the active voice, imperative mood, present tense. You said, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, that means that this command carries, is to be carried out constantly while you are raising your children. In other words, there's never a free moment. You are always bringing them up. You are always teaching them. It's a continuous action. In other words, there's never a time when you are not to be training your children. See, you're going to be training your children one way or another, whether you like it or not, because they're constantly watching them. So you're going to either be training them positively or negatively. They are constantly observing every move that you make. You know that. I mean, how many times have you been embarrassed by your child because they did something that was sinful and you realized that they learned it from you? Right? So they're watching you every moment of every day and we must be aware of that. Parenting is a full-time job. You never can set aside and simply say, I'm going to relax from my parenting. Well, I've done it and I'm finished training them for today. Now you go to your room and you stay in your room and play and do whatever you want to do. I'm going to rest. No, you don't have that privilege. 
Because even when they're going to their room, because they are little depraved children, babies in diapers, vipers, as I think Bodie Balcom says, you got to keep eye on when they're in the room. Because they will constantly be up to something. It takes constant effort and much time. Wayne Mack in his book, Strengthening Your Marriage, says this, God gives to parents the challenge task of bringing up their children, and this is a task in which parents must be constantly involved. This is a job in which they are never off duty. For no time of day or night or circumstance or situation or place is off limit for the performance of this task. So he says the same thing that I've just said. There's never a moment that you're not training your children. Now that word train is often thought of, teach, instruct, catechize. And there is an aspect of that. But it literally means to dedicate. The exact same Hebrew word is used in 1 Kings 8.63 for the dedication of the temple. So the idea is as a parent, you dedicate your life to set your children apart for God's glory. Being committed to the instructions that are given in the Word of God to say with Joshua... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No ands, but ifs about it. I'd have it put on the wall, if you're a young parent, so that your children often see it. Speak it to them often, that we are going to serve the Lord. Now this morning, at the end of our service, Service. There would be those parents who are members here at Grace who will make such a commitment to our Lord and to this church. Others have already made this commitment in the past when they had children. Some will be their third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. My question is, those who've made this commitment in the past, how are you doing? Are you fulfilling that commitment that you made to the Lord? Now, in what way... Are we to train our children whom God has given us? Parents are to train their children spiritually. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about this. And it points out that we're to write it on our doorpost, put it on our head. In other words, what he's saying there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we are literally to saturate our children with the truth of God. We are to always be teaching them. Look for every opportunity to teach them. Teach them first and foremost the gospel. Don't leave it up to your pastor. Don't leave it up to the Sunday school teacher. It's your responsibility to teach your children the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus Christ is. What Jesus Christ came to do. That even in their little sinful life, that Jesus can forgive their sins. We must teach them that truth. We must catechize them. We have that offered here at the church. But of course, what we do here at the church is just a reinforcement of what you're to be doing at home. And then to have family worship. Now, we teach them by our actions. They must see that our worship Our reading of the scripture, our praying, our witnessing, our serving others is important to us as parents. If we take these things lightly, guess what? 
they will not only take them lightly, they won't even begin to do them. And they will reject them. They must see that they are utmost important to us as parents. That these things are not optional to us, but these things are vitally important to us. We are to train them in education, train their minds, mathematics and history and science and the arts, cause them to see how important it is to have good study habits, being disciplined in their life. They are to know that God has created them and that God has created them for a purpose and that purpose is to worship the living God. Our desire should be that they should be useful for Jesus Christ in this dark and wicked and sinful world. And we must realize that they must develop the skills in their life so that they might be obedient to this command, all of God's command. And one of those commands, as far as their skill is concerned and their work is, that six days you shall work and then worship on the Sabbath. They must not be lazy. And they must be reminded that laziness is a sin. It's sad that there's those in our world, and I saw it in the news this week, that want to go to a four-day work day, week. Four days. So that they can have three days off. Is that what Scripture teaches us? No. It is a command that you work six days and you rest one. Now maybe on Saturday you might not be doing the same work that you do the other five days a week. But you're working. I know I work a lot harder a lot of time on the sixth day than I do on the other five days of the week. We are to work six days and we're to teach our children that we're to work six days. They are to learn to be sociable, friendly to others, interact with all ages of people. One way that you teach children this is that you visit assisted living homes. The elderly, elderly members of the church, teach them that these people have laid the path before us. Teach them how important these people are. That God says a lot about the ages as far as wisdom and how much we can learn from them. We need to teach our children to socialize with all age groups. We must be taught, they must be taught to be interested in other people so that they might minister to them. That they're to be people focused, not self-centered. We live in a self-centered society. We must break that from our children. We must teach them that they are to be focused on others. And one way that they can learn to do that is living in the home. Doing their chores. That as they do their chores, they're helping everybody in the home. That everyone has chores in the home. Teach them the importance of having good, godly friends. And emphasize to them that bad character corrupts, I mean bad company corrupts good character. Learn how to get along with other people. And one of the ways that you learn how to get along with other people is you live with other people in the same room. When I was growing up, there was four of us boys, I mean three of us boys, in the same room. We had to learn to get along with one another. I think one of the greatest harms we do in the home as far as that's concerned is having these great big houses that everybody thinks they have to have with a lot of different rooms and everyone has their own room. No! I think you ought to cram them all into one room. Because if they can learn to get together at home, they'll learn to get together anyway. You understand what I'm saying? We are not to be individualistic. We are to be a sociable people, a a corporate people. We see that Scripture teaches us. 
Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. Psalms 1.1. So we must teach them that. The truth of Psalms 1.1. Teach them the importance of being sexually pure. Especially in this day that we live in. That they are to save themselves for marriage. And how dangerous it is to pervert that which God has ordained. And our society has done it. But the church must stand firm on these truths. What God calls holy, we must not allow the world to defame. We must continue to call it holy and call people to a holy life. It's the parents' responsibility to teach children about their sexuality. If you don't, who will? I'll tell you who will. Our government will. They're trying to do that. They're trying to do everything they can. They are in full mode to try to ruin our children. Did you notice this past week, even in the state of Maryland, that there's a particular policy that was upheld that the school does not have to tell their parents, the children's parents, that if they want to change their gender, if they want to be... if Billy wants to be Jane at school. He can be Jane at school and not even tell the parents. We must guard our children and protect them. We are to teach them how useful they should be. We also ought to teach them how to use their finances wisely. To not be worldly, not be wasteful, but to be good stewards of what God has Given them, which includes they must understand that you give a tenth, at least a tenth. That's the beginning point. At least a tenth to the Lord, to His work, to His kingdom work. And then you can give above and beyond that to the kingdom work of God. If you don't teach them at home, no one else is going to teach them that. There are those who, so many other truths that we ought to learn, but of course due to time we can't look at all those. There's many books that address that, and I encourage you to buy good, solid books. We have a number of them in our book room that will help you understand the truths that I've mentioned and help you teach your children. How can you do all of these things? Well, the only way you can do all of these things is by the grace of God. Spending much time on your knees in prayers. Also in the context of the local church, the local church comes alongside of you and we offer the ministry that we here have at Grace to help you do these things that you are to be doing. We will do everything in our power to give you good books, to teach you how to raise your children in a Christian home, to teach you how to have family worship. All of these things our church will seek to do. So the local church is very important and your children must see how important the local church is to you. You, therefore, have a responsibility to learn how to rightly teach and discipline your children. Discipline them in a way that they understand that God has placed you as the head of the home and has given you the authority and they must learn how to obey immediately. Immediately they must obey. If they don't obey immediately, they have disobeyed. And you need to stress that upon them. This bit about, now you need to do that. I'm on a count of three. You haven't done it. I'm I'm at two. No, you don't do that kind of stuff. You say, act upon my word. Act upon my command. Because one day you might save their life by telling them that truth. So we must learn to teach them how to obey. 
A child must know that you are the authority of that home because God has placed you as the authority of that home and they must be obedient to the authority or they're not only being disobedient to you, but they're being disobedient to God. Second, we are to train up a child in the way that he should go because a child is born depraved. I've said it many times. If you don't believe that, keep the nursery on Sunday morning. They will not go the way that they should go. Psalms 58.3 says, telling us that from the womb they go astray as soon as they are born and speaking lies. You never had to take your children and teach them in how to sin 101. No, it came naturally. You have to do everything in your power to keep them from sinning. We are to train them in the way that they should go. This tells us that there's a way in which children should go. Now this is contrary to what this world says. This world tells us to let them make up their own mind. Let them do their own thing. Don't don't suppress what they want to do. The world tells us, let them decide whether they want to be a girl or a boy. I never thought in my lifetime that we would come to that. But it's here. It's the responsibility of a parent to say, no, God has made you this way and that's the way you are. God has made you special. The Word of God tells us that it's an abomination unto the Lord for a male to wear female clothes. Deuteronomy 22.5 See, there is a correct way, and that correct way is a path of righteousness, and we are to instruct them to walk in the path of righteousness. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of the way is death. So we must teach our children that truth. That if you go down that path, that path that's the wrong path, it ends in death. And we must do everything in our power to keep them from going down that path. We must teach our children this truth. Son, don't destroy your life by going that way. The majority are going that way. It's the broad way. And that way leads to death, eternal death, hell. We are to train them in wisdom and righteousness, in the way of godliness, in the narrow way. Train a boy on the mouth of his way. That's how the Hebrew literally reads. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, as soon as as they are able to utter a word, as soon as they have any understanding whatsoever, you are to begin to train them. Parents should start at the earliest of age catechizing their children. As soon as they're able to make a sound that sounds like God, who made you? God. Good. They've learned who made them. And they ought to hear that every day. Who made you? God, God. Didn't they be able to say a little bit better a few days later? 
And then you move forward with each catechism so that they learn these wonderful truths as at the earliest of age. I mean, it's amazing to me how early kids can learn. My wife and I went by my daughter's the other day to pick up one. She was going to keep the three youngest ones at the house. And we were entertained by five of them singing all 50 states. I can't even quote all 50 states. And they sat there and sang every single state from the youngest to the oldest. They knew each state. I was simply amazed. I mean, they learned it in less than two weeks' time because my wife had seen it and she mentioned it to my daughter and she decided, I guess, to surprise us by teaching it to our children. Kids can learn a lot more than we think they ever could learn. If you wait until they are set in their ways, it is too late. You are to do it when they are tender plants shapeable in that earliest days. Charles Bridges said, the more earlier the training of the child, the more easier the work. Our character largely takes the form of the mold into which our earliest years were cast. Much in later years, Both good and evil may be traced back to seeds sown in their infancy. I'll even go a step further. While they're still in the womb, you ought to be speaking to them, talking to them. Let them listen to a sermon while they're in the womb. You never know what God might even use while they're in the womb. We must deal with them in a biblical way, especially when it comes to sin in their life at their earliest age. Don't have the foolish idea that they will grow out of their sinfulness. That will not happen. There's those who think, well, let them sow their wild oats and get it out of their system. They do not get it out of their system, folks. The only way it's out of their system is by the Holy Spirit working in their life and changing their heart. Don't believe the lie of this world. Do everything you can to get it out of their system, but pray that God Himself will get it out of their system. Some of you may be thinking, well, it's too late. No, it isn't. If you haven't done the things that I've been mentioned here, what you need to do, first of all, is pray to God and ask forgiveness from God. And then second of all, ask your children for forgiveness for not being the parents you ought to be. You can't make up for past sins, but you can begin today doing that which is right. Thirdly, the outcome of this Proverbs there says... When he is old, he will not depart. Now that's the typical outcome of training a child in the way of God. He will not turn away from God. He will not easily be influenced by the world, by that which you have placed in his mind. Now from this, we can take great encouragement in doing our duty, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
doing our duty by God's grace will bring benefits. Now remember, we cannot take this proverb as an absolute promise that God will save our children and cause them to return because we have done what it says here. That's not what it's saying. It's a general truth. Remember that. But I guarantee it, if you don't do it, you have very little hope that they will become a Christian and not fall away. There are those here who have raised their children in a biblical way and their children are still unconverted. Their children have departed from what they taught them. But here are some truths that you need to remember. First of all, the final chapter has not been written. Never forget that. God's in control, and the final chapter hadn't been written. Remember, salvation is of the Lord. Keep praying for your children. Keep loving them. Keep being a godly example before them. Those truths that you put into their mind at the earliest of age, God can bring them to their mind instantly in their later years and convert them. John Newton's mother died when he was six years old. And at the age of nine, he was on the ship with his father, he became a sinful, sinful, sinful sailor. But at the age of 23, he said, I remember the words that my mother taught me as a child. God took those words that she had and drove them into his heart. And he became a child of God. And he wrote that amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet it saved a worm like me. God is able to save the worst sinner. Augustine lived a wicked, sinful life. But his mother kept praying and following him around and continued to pray for him. Finally, at the age of 31, he was converted. Don't write off your children. Keep loving them and praying for them. Show them God's grace. Continue to be faithful. Don't be like Eli, who didn't restrain his sons from their sin, and God eventually took their lives. We must not leave our child, children to themselves in their wickedness, but by God's grace, help them to stand against evil. In closing, let me give some applications. First, not that we haven't had our reapplications, 
But more applications. First, remember our few years with our children are life-shaping opportunities that we cannot afford to miss out on. I know as a parent it seemed like eternity, but after they're gone, it seems like it was so short. You only have a certain number of days, a certain number of years. Do your best to raise your children according to God's Word. That means fulfilling your role as father and mother. You have a God-given role. Listen to what John MacArthur says. Today's parents trend to be more passive and less involved in their children's life than any generation in our nation's history. They have turned their children over to artificial, surrogate parents, daycare centers, relatives. The TV set and the children's own peers have far more influence on the moral and social development of today's children than parents do. That is an aberration of parents' duty before God. The Lord Himself gave parents, not schools, youth leaders, Sunday school teachers, or anybody else, the primary responsibility for nurture and admonition of their children is the parents. Now we must ask the question, does God have a calling for a father and a mother? And if so, what is that calling? God has given you a mighty charge. And you must look to Christ for that strength to carry out that charge, which includes self-denial. Now this is very important, parents. So many parents say, we must both work so that we are able to provide for our children. That is foolish. Foolish. That comes from Satan. Not from God's Word. The father is to be the breadwinner. The main breadwinner. He is to lead his home. Now I'm not saying that women can't do anything outside the home. Read Proverbs 31 and you see that the Proverbs woman was very diligent. What I'm saying is that the father is the main breadwinner. The mother's main responsibility is to be in the home with the children, training the children, teaching the children, being a godly influence upon them. And if you have an argument with that, don't argue with me, argue with God. For God says the woman is to be a homekeeper, a helpmaker, keeper of the home. Now I want to be kind, but honest. As a mother, you don't have time to waste on other things when it comes to raising your children. There's so many who say, my time. No, when you're a mother, you don't have your time. 
When you're a mother, you have their time, your children's time and your husband's time. It's a great responsibility that you have. You are called to devote yourself to your family, to be that helpmate, to be that keeper of the home. Don't miss out on that privilege. It's a privilege. It's an honor that God has given you. Don't be like this world. The world says you have to work. The world says that if you want to be any successful, if you want your children to have these things, you must go to work. The problem is sometimes we get ourselves so deep in debt, yes, both parents have to work. Now whose fault is that? Now again, I'm just stating the facts. We try to store up earthly treasure instead of godly inheritance. And until we follow the roles that God has given us, we are not going to see a revival of the family. Second, be faithful in having family worship. Now this was our topic yesterday in men's Bible study. It was disappointing that more men were not there. Men, we are always learning. Always learning how to shepherd our family. You must lead your family in worship. If you read Vody Balkan's book, chapter 6, you know that he gives George Whitfield's five arguments, family worship, which are very persuasive arguments. I'm going to repeat these. Not for those that were there yesterday. Well, of course it is good for those that were there yesterday, but more importantly, for those that weren't there yesterday. And wives, you can take notes so you can press them upon your husband. First, we are to do regular family worship out of a gratitude to God. God created us to worship Him. Did you hear what I said? He created us. And He deserves to be worshipped. It is the Father's duty to teach His children this truth. He is the potter, we are the clay. He being the potter can do with the clay whatever He wants to. And He has commanded that the clay worship Him. And due to God's goodness, we owe Him worship. We should teach our children to worship Him every day. Not just on the Lord's Day. Now the Lord's Day was set apart for us to worship Him. But every day we must teach our children to worship them. That's why we have family worship. And we show them how important worshiping is by having family worship. Second, we are to have family worship out of love and pity for our children. Some parents provide everything for their children physically, but they neglect that which is the most important, and that's the spiritual needs. Our children's souls should be utmost in our mind, but some don't act like it. Some work all the time to give their children stuff, but they don't need stuff. They need you. That's who they need. Give them you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That must be what we teach them. There was a song written, I believe it was back in the 60s or maybe early 70s, Cat in the Cradle. I don't have time to read it. I'd encourage you to read it. It talks about a father who ignored his son all of his life, and then when he got old, his son ignored him all of his life. 
And that's truth that will happen often. Third, we're to have family worship out of a sense of common honesty and justice. Being the spiritual leader is God's, our God-given duty. And those who neglect the spiritual welfare of their family are irresponsible and will have to give an account to a holy God one day. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm simply saying this is the warning that Scripture gives us. Bring your children to church is not enough. God has called you as a father to be the spiritual leader of your children. Fourth, we are to have family worship out of self-interest. Well, what do you mean by that, George? Well, God has promised that those who love and fear and worship and serve Him will receive blessings, which includes blessings in the family. If you desire for God to bless you and your family, then you must obey Him. God is not going to reward sinfulness. Now, of course, our great goal is that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, no matter what. Whether He blesses us or not, we still are to love Him. Just as Job did. After God took everything away from him, did Job turn on God? No. He continued to love God. And he said, naked into this world I came, naked will I go out. He continued to trust God. And we must continue to trust God. Fathers, in order for you to teach your children, you must be growing daily in God's truth. If you're not growing daily in God's truth, how in the world will you expect your children to understand God's truth and grow in His truth? You have a great responsibility to grow in truth daily. Fifth, we're to have family worship out of a fear of the Lord. The time will come... When we must all appear before the judgment seat of God. And we must give a solemn and strict account. Now whether you believe in that or not, it's going to happen. It doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not because that's what the Word of God teaches us. Ezekiel 33.8 When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you, do not speak to the, and you do not speak this warning to the wicked for their ways. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require of your hands. See, if you believe that God saves sinners by the preaching of the gospel, but you do not have your children under the preaching of the gospel, or you do not proclaim the gospel to them, what does that say about you? What does it say about you? As Vody Balcom says, Can a man who is truly converted neglect to share the good news with his children as early and as often as possible? Well, the answer is no. If he is truly converted, he will not neglect it. He will confront his children I'd encourage you, if you haven't read that chapter, and wives, you don't have the book, so you can't read the chapter. Just go to PuritanMinds.com and look up Family, Great Duties of Family by George Whitfield, and you can read the entire sermon. If you don't know what family worship looks like and what you're to do immediately after this worship service, go right back there to our bookstore and pick up the book. 
We have a number of books on family worship by Joel Beakey and others. Or go to the website, Chapel Library, and just type in family worship, and it'll show you a lot of books that you can read online. And let me close by saying, if you are truly converted, your desire as a godly husband and father and wife and child, your greatest desire is to please God by having a home that is built upon the gospel, upon God's truth. If this isn't your desire, then you need to be converted. You need to come to Christ in true repentance and salvation and trust in Christ and Christ alone. For His Spirit alone is able to put that desire in your heart. My prayer is that each family here will be faithful to obey God's Word and train up their child in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they do not depart from it. That's my desire, and I hope that's your desire, that we might be a faithful church to fulfill that which God has commanded us to do. May we pray and cry out to Him to accomplish that which we cannot do in our own strength, but only by the strength of the Spirit. Let us pray. Father, I know that this is a difficult sermon, a hard sermon. But Father, it's a sermon that is needed for each and every one of us because of the importance of family. How we look to you to stir this desire in our hearts so that we might be the fathers and the mothers and the children that we need to be. We know, Father, that it's by grace and grace alone that we are able to accomplish this. We know, Father, that there are many times that we have failed and we bow before you and pray, Father, that you would forgive us of our many failures and and give us a new desire, a new commitment to be faithful to the task that you have laid upon us, not only as parents, but also as grandparents, that we would be faithful to this task. Do not allow us, Father, to be discouraged because we know that's what Satan would have us to do, to be discouraged as we leave this place. But Father, calls us to have great hope that by the power and the grace of Jesus Christ that we are able to accomplish that which You have called us to do and that You would transform families here at Grace, Father. That we would be obedient to Your Word and faithful to Your Word and carry out the task that You have called us to do so that we might see our children come to know Christ as Lord and Savior and to live for Christ all the days of their life. Put that desire in our heart, Father. Cause us to be faithful to this task. And this we pray in Christ's name.
for his sake.